one of the things that um, I, I was thinking the Lord you know, just kind of put on my heart is, is um, the idea of what's important, you know, and, and it's good for us to um, remember, you know, what is important and what has the Lord called me to do? And am I doing what God's called me to do? Um, and, um, and, you know, and the things that are important to make sure you don't fail in. Um, I remember there's been sort of marks in my life where I thought, man, if I fail, whatever I do, I don't wanna fail in this. And you know, one, one is, by the way, um, I think when, I, when my first child, Brooke, was born, Deb and I you know, had this overwhelming sense, wow, there's a little life that is now in our care. And you, you dads know how that feels. It's just kind of like, wow. Um, everything changed in my thinking. From that point on, it was not as much about my career or what I wanted to do or what my life was measuring up to be. It was really, I just wanted to see my kids do well and flourish. And uh, you know, it was kind of one of those things, whatever you do, don't mess this up. It, it, when, when somebody says that to you, whatever you do, uh, usually it's a good, uh, good, you know, if somebody, if they know what they're talking about at least, um, it's like that day I went skydiving years ago. I was 18 years old and, um, and I wanted to do the jump myself. I didn't wanna be like tied to a guy. So you have to go through a little extra class time and, and basically you get to do a static line jump, which I was all excited about that. So we did it, you know, and it was exciting and fun and I loved skydiving. But the most dangerous part of the day was actually uh, when this, the, it was funny, the place we went was out, the Beagle Boy Sky Ranch. There were kind of some redneck dudes out there to, to tell you what, we were out there skydiving. It's like when we drove in, they said, well, we'll see if we can find some gasoline for the plane. Like, like seriously, that's the guys we were skydiving with. Um, but um, but it, was, it was pretty funny. But, but uh, one of the guys, when we, when we got onto the ground, you know, uh, after jumping, um, uh, they had us kind of pull in our parachute and, and hold it like this. And they didn't want us to undo anything. And so I'm like, okay, whatever. And then they put us on this big flatbed hay truck. Because, you know, they, they, we were about five miles from the, 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 the um, barn where the, the plane and the skydiving equipment was um, after we jumped. So they were going to stick us on the back of this flatbed. And we we're literally sitting on hay bales on the back of a flatbed. There was like five of us that jumped. And so we're all sitting like this, the jump master, myself, and a couple of guys. Um, but as we went, we took off down the freeway um, the, the, as we're holding the parachute. Um, um, <laughs> yeah, you guessed it. It's like the parachute would like go and you're like. And I looked over at the jump master. He said, whatever you do, don't let go of that thing. He said, it'll yank you right off the back of this truck. That's what he said. I was like, oh yeah, okay. And all of us were like, you know, red, white knuckling it, you know, just trying to hang on to our parachute. That was the scariest part of my day right there. I wasn't jumping out of the airplane, but I, I could just picture it, you know, on the freeway, you know, as we're going, all of a sudden, poof, you know, and you'd be gone off of there. Um, but anyway, um, you know, it's, a, it's that phrase, whatever you do, uh, that, that's, that's an interesting phrase. Did you know that the Bible says that actually three times? The Bible says, whatever you do, and then you can kind of fill in the blank. And, and, and this is a good checkpoint for us as men to say, whatever you do, well, let's, let's see, what is it that God says to us as men? Um, you know, whatever you do, don't let go of that parachute. Uh, or whatever you do, what is it? Well, two of them are actually in the book of Colossians. Let's start with those two, uh, and then we'll, uh, we'll kind of go to one other one. Uh, in fact, two of the whatever you do's are in, this, in the same chapter even. 
Whatever you do, uh, it's Colossians chapter three. Why don't you turn there? Paul the apostle, writing to the church at Colossae, he's saying um, you know, a bunch of good stuff about life, family, being husbands, raising children. Like he's talking about a bunch of stuff. Uh, your business and uh, how you treat your employees. Like powerful, powerful uh, chapter. That's, it's really practical. Um, I love that about this. Um, but he says whatever you do twice here uh, in the King James, uh, it's, it's whatsoever, <laughs> whatsoever you do. Uh, uh, but it's the same, same thing. Um, the first one is found here in uh, Colossians chapter three, verse 17. It says, and whatsoever you do in word or deed, it's your mouth or your actions, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. That's the first one, do all in the name of the Lord. Um, now, that, this is a big thing. Whatever you do, do all in the name of the Lord. Now, um, does that mean you have to run around and say, like, you know, some of the televangelist guys, in Jesus' name, um, pass the orange juice. Uh, like, do all. It says all. Whatsoever you do, do all in the name of the Lord. So all is all. So what does that mean? Well, do you have to, do you have to name it and claim it? Now, there is something powerful about using the name of Jesus in prayer. Um, but that's not really what's being talked about here. It's not, you know, you just naming it and claiming it in the name of Jesus. You know, people getting all, you know, uh, hyped up on, on, you know, naming Jesus. Jesus, the, there's a powerful word there. The name of Jesus uh, is, is powerful and glorious. I'm not diminishing that, but that, that's not really what this is saying. When, when the Bible says, you know, in the name of the Lord, whatsoever you do in word or deed, in your actions or the things that you're saying, you should be able to say, I'm doing this in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. That's what it says here. Now, um, you have to ask yourself this question, you know, can I do what I'm about to do in the name of the Lord? Um, you see, when we talk about this phrase in the name of the Lord, it means in the nature of the Lord, in his character, it's in line with his name. Um, and, and that's an important thing for us to think about. The, the, whatever you're about to do, deed, or whatever you're about to say, word, in word or deed, whatever you do, do it in the name, that is in the nature of, or in submission to. That's the idea, you and I as men, we don't submit very well. It's interesting that the Bible teaches submission for all. We should all be submitted, first and foremost, to the Lord. Um, secondly, we should be submitted one to another. Um, you know, uh, if you're a husband that's constantly reminding your wife, submit to me, woman, then you need marriage counseling. I'm just gonna tell you right now. That's not something you say to your wife. Um, uh, it's hard enough to think of her having to submit to you. I can't even imagine that. Uh, but, but it is interesting. Um, in that chapter of Ephesians 5, it says, submit yourselves one to another. And then it says, wives, submit to your own husbands. And, and the idea is, you know, as a husband and wife team, you submit to each other. But there is a point where the husband is sort of the, where the buck stops and he's responsible. And that's where the wife, it's not a got to, it's a get to. She gets to submit to him. Um, but the idea of submission is something that you and I as men need to be really good at. One thing I'm so thankful for is, um, is there's men in my life that I, I get to submit to. And I'm so thankful for them. 
Uh, I truly am. Uh, and, and, you know, um, the coolest part is, you know, this, this fellowship. When, when I started Athey Creek 25 years ago, um, I'd seen enough ministries uh, where the, the pastor was sort of the guy in charge and, you know, calling all the shots. And there's several denominations and even some non-denominational churches that have said, uh, you know, the pastor's kind of uh, in charge. And at Athey Creek, you know, they, they talk about the Moses model. Moses was in charge and then there was leaders of tens, fifties, hundreds, thousands. And people use the Moses model. We, we, we say Athey Creek's not really that Moses model. We're a different Moses model. Um, see, that model says that the pastor's Moses. At Athey Creek, I've always said, uh, we'll use the Moses model, but guess what? Jesus is the Moses in our story. Like Jesus is the head of the church. There's no question about that. And after Jesus, I think it should be a group of men governing together uh, under Christ. It should not be one guy uh, in charge. It's interesting. Uh, there's a lot of um, buzz right now in the church world. Those of you guys that follow stuff uh, about what's happening in the church and uh, podcasts and stuff. There's a lot of hubbub about, about um, you know, leadership and authority and, and abuse and stuff like that within churches. That's kind of a, a thing being talked about right now. But I have to say, you know, when I started Athey Creek uh, by myself, me and my wife, Deb, came up here and, you know, just literally didn't know anybody. And we just finally got to know one guy and his wife and then a couple more people. And it was kind of cool as the Lord grew up, but it was always my intention to say, I need a group of guys around me that I can submit myself to. Um, and there's a couple of reasons. One, I don't trust myself. Uh, that's one thing. Two, I've seen better men than me uh, totally blow it and do the wrong thing. And so, um, so, you know, very shortly after we started Eighth Creek, we, um, we started, you know, putting these guys in a position. We call them governing elders. And the reason we call them governing elders is we don't call them bishops. Um, bishops uh, is the word actually, episkopos in the Greek. Um, they're, the, they're the elders that govern the church. Episcopos is the word. And, and um, you see examples of a plurality of leadership. In Acts chapter 15, we were trying to figure out what do you do with these Gentiles? And you know, Peter gave his two cents, Paul gave his two cents, but it was finally James that said, here's what we need to do. And they all said, that's it. They all kind of felt like they'd heard from the Lord through James. Uh, you'd think Paul would have said the final word, or maybe Peter, you know, the guy that holds the keys uh, to the church, uh, according to the Catholics, he's the Pope. Uh, but he didn't say what, what the deal was. It was, it was James, and, and they all agreed unanimously. Um, and they worked together and submitted themselves. Even Paul called Peter out once and said, Peter, you're off course, buddy. And it was like a legitimate you know, thing where Peter had to say, okay, I gotta fix that. Um, so in, in, in that sense, I, I've always wanted to say, you know, um, we need to submit. I need to be in submission to a group of guys. So I don't just you know, unilaterally say, let's do this or let's do that. Um, at Athey Creek, it's always been this way. If we make a decision, it's gotta be 100% unanimous. It's not a vote where we're all like, all in favor of building a phase two building, say aye, we don't do that. Um, we pray about it, we talk about it, we weigh out all the things, pray some more. And then if all the guys uh, you know, say yes, this is what we feel like the Lord is leading us to do. Well, Brett, how do you get anything done with having to have unanimous? Um, well, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes we've had to work through some stuff and it was hard, but, um, but mostly it's been miraculous. I'm gonna just say it that way. Um, mostly it's been over the years, just uh, you know, 
just praying through stuff and the Lord's kind of given all of us a peace one way or the other. And what's interesting is, is sometimes we don't even always agree necessarily, but we agree to say, this is what the Lord is calling us to do. Um, and we all have a piece about that. And it, it's, it's a nuanced thing, it's not easy. But, but man, as the time goes by, and as I watch what has happened to other churches and other pastors and stuff, I think, man, I don't want any part of that. And it, it makes me even more thankful, I think, for these guys that we have as episcopuses. The reason I don't call them bishops, like uh, some, some of the churches, is uh, the Catholics and some of the other uh, more liturgical churches made that word kind of weird. Um, and I think of chess when I think of a bishop. Um, uh, can you imagine if we had bishops running around here? I think that's just a little weird. Um, so we have what we call governing elders, which are episcopuses, which are also called bishops. Are you guys with me on that? That's important. Now, the reason I say that is because I think every man, all of us need to be accountable to other people, other guys. Um, and that's one thing we've always encouraged here, like even at Ironworks, is to have a group of, of men that you're accountable to. And, and, um, and if you don't, Man, it's time to make sure. If you're the Lone Ranger, you're headed for trouble. Uh, that's just a pattern I've seen over the years that's pretty, pretty uh, uh, like math. You know, it just, it kind of always works out badly if a guy is just saying, I'm, you're not the boss of me. Nobody can tell me what to do. That always, always turns out badly. Um, and it might take years, but the, by the way, the longer a guy goes where he's large and in charge and not accountable to anybody, the longer that goes successfully, the harder the fall in the future, I've noticed. And that's, that's heartbreaking, it really is. Um, so all that to say, um, you know, one of the things that we're supposed to look for is this idea of whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord, which means in submission to the Lord and, and his will and his word. Whatever you do in word or deed, uh, you, can, you have to ask yourself, can I do what I'm about to do in the name of the Lord? I've used this example before, but you know, um, back when my parents, they, had, you know, they, they live more in a, a smaller house now and just kind of, um, it's more low key, uh, cool. But they used to have this house you know, in the Applegate Valley and it was you know, like out there in the woods and a swimming pool. And you know, my dad built a bunch of houses and then sell them and build and sell. And that's how, you know, that's how he kind of got his retirement. You know? um, but our house was nice. And I remember years ago telling this illustration, it'd be like if, if some of you guys showed up at my dad's doorstep and said, uh, hey, we'd like to come and just hang out. And my dad behind the door might be going, Ch -ch -ch. you know what I'm saying? I mean, he, you know, out in the woods, out in the country, uh, you never know, and could, you could be them Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, no, just kidding, um, <laughs> just kidding. Um, so my dad, he, you know, he'd be, well, who are you? And what if you said, what if you said, well, you know, I know Brett, your son. Um, then my dad, he'd start to go, oh, really, how do you know? Now, now here's the thing. Uh, if you um, had your cooler with some Budweiser in it and you're, um, and you're playing Britney Spears on a boombox, <laughs> which I'm sure all you guys do, um, and, you know, there's just things about you that my dad's like, yeah, Brett doesn't really do the Britney Spears thing. And he's, he, you know, he's not really, not really much of an alcoholic, uh, really, because he's never, and, and he'd be wondering, uh, you, you claim to know Brett, but there'd be something about what you're doing. He's kind of like, eh. Now, if you showed up at the door and you said, hey, uh, Todd, uh, uh, we're Athey Creekers, man. We go, to, we go to Athey Creek and we know your son. And, 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 and if you kind of were, if what you were acting like and what you were doing was in line 
with who I am as my dad's son, my dad might say, well, come on in. I guarantee my mom, she'd start cooking up some good food and, and you know, you'd take a dip in the pool and you'd, you'd have a great time. And my dad, they're very hospitable. Um, so I used this illustration years ago uh, and, um, and uh, a, a group of guys were in Southern Oregon. So I said, let's try that thing with Brett's dad. <laughs> they really did. And they knocked on the door and, uh, and sure enough, uh, my mom and dad let him in, cooked up a meal and they were swimming in the pool. Like, like it, 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 it literally happened, literally. Uh, so, but, but you see, the, the point is, uh, if you claim to know their son, Brett, then there's, it's gotta be in the nature of that. Like it's gotta be congruent. So in, in, in a more important way, when you're doing something in the name of Jesus Christ, it's gotta be in line with his nature. Um, so, you know, if you're driving down the freeway and somebody cuts you off and you're, you're saying, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna flip them off in the name of Jesus. Does that work? <laughs> does that work? You know, we've got a bunch of kooky people now that probably thinks that does work, but it doesn't. That's not in the nature. G- the nature of Jesus is to do good to those that have done bad to you. Um, the, the nature of Jesus is to prefer others over yourself. Let them in. Uh, and, 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 and the nature of Jesus is not to, you know, be angry at people that have wronged them, but to forgive. Uh, oh, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Um, so this idea of do what, whatsoever you do, whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord, um, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. So in modern society, we, we pay little attention to names, you know, uh, you know, but often during Old Testament days, you know, God would change a person's name. Abram became Abraham. Sarai became Sarah. You know, uh, it's interesting, even in the New Testament, Paul was once Saul. Um, and and there's, there's guys that got name changes. Peter was Simon. Um, and, and God changed names because the important changes in that person or some new development in their life. And as, as Christians, you and I, we, whether we want to admit it or not, I hope you know this, if you're a Christian, which I hope you are, if you're a Christian, you are bearing the name of Christ. Um, that's kind of an interesting thing. Uh, uh, the word Christian is funny. It's used three times in the whole Bible. Um, uh, does anybody know, before it was called Christianity or being a Christian, does anybody know what was the original name of the church before it was Christian? Anybody? The Way. Isn't that something? I like that name, The Way. This is The Way. Um, for you... Uh, for, for you, uh, uh, well, you know what I'm talking about. Um, Mandalorian, dun, 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 dun. Anyway, um, but the church was called the way. Uh, I like that, but, but when did it become Christian? Well, it's a funny story. It's, it's, it's used in Acts 11, 26, uh, the word Christian, uh, 26, 28 of Acts, 1 Peter 4, 16. But um, the, the, the way was the original, but it, when, when did it become? The word Christian was literally meant to be an insult. Um, it was the enemies of the church, enemies of the way that said, you guys are Christians, little Christs. You're like little Jesuses running around. That was the idea. It was to be an insult and, and make people feel bad about what they were doing. They were following Jesus. They were little Christ. But I- I- anybody that knew Jesus, they're like, count me in. Call me a little Christ because that's all I would ever 
want to be. I remember we were in uh, Jordan once with um, our tour guide, Steve Ben-Yashai, who's a, a you know, Jewish guy, and, and he was our guide. And um, we're, here we are in you know, the middle of, uh, well, not far from Amman, Jordan. And, um, and you know, it's a little dangerous for an Israeli to be in Jordan. You know, it's not a, you know, easy situation. But, but sure enough, we get off this bus and, um, and we're, we're at this little town, I think, called Wadi Musa. And, uh, and, and this, this guy looks at our, our, our guide that was with us from Israel. We were kind of sneaking him in. He wasn't our guide in Jordan, but we were just kind of acting like he was part of our group. But they, they, they picked him out of our group and said, hey, Jew, like this, this, this young man said to this, this guy in our group. And now you understand, Steve, he's no wimp. Um, you know, and he fought in the IDF and he's, he's kind of a fiery little guy, you know, uh, you know and, and, uh, and this guy goes, hey, Jew, you know, what are you doing here? He says, and, and, and so Steve says, hey, what do, what do you think I'm, you know, um, did you look at my nose? Is that what, like Steve gets, gets, starts dishing it back to this guy. You think my nose makes me, a, is that what you think I'm a Jew? What do you think I am, Ariel Sharon? What if I said, you look like Saddam Hussein? <laughs> That's what he said. And the, and the, <laughs> were any of you guys there when this happened? Uh, I think that, yeah, there might've been a couple of you guys. It was kind of quite a, we were like, uh-oh, we're in trouble here. Uh, you're in Wadi Musa in Jordan. But, um, but this guy goes, it's like he said, oh, Saddam Hussein, if only I could become Saddam Hussein. That's what he said. Uh, we're like, oh boy. Now that was just a couple years before we hanged him. Uh, but anyway, uh, Saddam Hussein. Um, but anyway, that's just a whole nother story. Um, but, but the thing that I thought was interesting is here, you know, one guy was flashing the Ariel Sharon name and the other Saddam Hussein and, and it was all linked to who they were and their identity and stuff. And I thought, all I would ever want to be is called a Christian, someone who's associated with Jesus Christ. Uh, forget Saddam Hussein, uh, but Jesus, there's someone. And so when the world meant it to be an insult, the church said, we like that. Call us little Christs if you want, because that's what we want to be. We want to become more like Christ. We want to be people that are all about Jesus Christ. And so that name stuck. Um, and it was originally this term of, you know, contempt. Uh, but but it, gradually it became a, a name of honor. The name of Christ means identification, that we belong to Christ. It's like Christ's name is on you when you're a Christian. And I hope that whatever you do, you do all in the name of Jesus Christ knowing that you're taking the name wherever you're going and whatever you're saying and whatever you're doing. Um, I wonder if some of the things we say with our mouths would, would not really be congruent with Jesus. I mean, think about Jesus and all the things that he said. Speaking of all the things that Jesus talked about, what, what did they say about Jesus's speech, anybody? They marveled at his what? Gracious words. Are you men of gracious words or are you men of harsh words? The only people Jesus was really harsh to was the religious leaders that were ripping off people and taking people for a ride and scamming them there at the Temple Mount and, and also the Pharisees who were, you know, self-righteous, you know, legalists. Jesus called them, you know, whitewashed tombs. Their mouths were you know, like open sepulchers or tombs. Like Jesus was fiery in some of the, but when it came to the sinner, Jesus was so gracious and they constantly marveled at his gracious words. So it makes me wonder if I'm a person with the name of Christ on me and what I say with my mouth, is that gonna be congruent with his name? His name. Because you and I as Christians, we're taking his name 
wherever we go and whatever we say. But his name also means authority. Um, by the way, if you say something in the name of Jesus, there's an authority to that. But you gotta also make sure that that authority is congruent. So when you go to my dad's house and if you say, in the name of Brett, I'm here to visit, you, you better make sure that, that that's really in line because otherwise, you know, you may not get entry. Um, you know, a man's name, remember when you used to sign checks before we all took the mark of the beast? No, I'm just kidding. It's not the mark of the beast. Um, but we used to sign checks and it was that, that signature of your name that gave it, uh, you know, money to withdraw, you know, from the bank. Um, you know, the president's name uh, is signed into things that make things law. Um, so in the same way, when you uh, are using the name of Jesus, you're bringing his authority into a situation as well. So it's his nature, but it's also identification, but it's also authority. Um, you know, that's why we pray in the name of Jesus. That's why people say at the end of prayers, in the name of Jesus or in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, be careful, by the way, not to just say that as sort of a routine. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, you know, say it. When you say in Jesus' name, which it's good to pray that way. We're supposed to pray using the name of Jesus. But make sure when you do that, that your prayer is in line with the nature and the character and you're putting his authority on something that is something that he actually would want. So if you're praying, Lord, make my boss's head explode off his shoulders. I would like to see a pink mist. Um, that's not in the line of the nature of Christ. That's, that's, uh, that's evil. And so you gotta, you gotta kind of watch that. Um, uh, and so the Bible actually says that. In fact, jot these down in your, in your uh, notes. But like, for example, in John 14, um, Jesus taught us to pray this way. In John 14, 13, it says, and whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the, in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. That's John 14, verses 13 and 14. I mean, this is a promise that Jesus gave. Whatsoever you ask in my name, that will I do. Um, you say, well, Brett, then I can just say like abracadabra. Is that what Jesus' name is, a magic incantation? No, remember, it has to be in his nature and according to his plan and purpose. And it's gonna be signing his authority to it. So when you ask something in the name of Jesus, um, make sure that it's in line with Jesus. It's not only John 14, but also John chapter 16, where John uh, talked about um, uh, the same thing. He says in John 16, he says, and in that day you shall ask me nothing. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever you ask in the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Hitherto you've asked um, nothing in my name. Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. And he goes on in verse 25. And he says, these things have I spoken to you in Proverbs, but in, the time will come when I will no more speak in Proverbs, but shall show you plainly of the Father. And at that day, you shall ask in my name, and I shall say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you. So um, interesting, Jesus is clarifying the use of his name when it comes to prayer. Um, so, so this is an interesting thing. We've got, you know, number, number one on our list of things to consider here, we've got do all in the name of the Lord. Um, and that's, that's, that's a good uh, sort of leash um, that you and I are supposed to kind of watch out for. And, and I, I like being on a leash um, because if you let me off the leash, I'll do things in Brett's name only. And you don't wanna see that, that gets ugly. And it's probably ugly with you too. But if I say, man, I'm gonna try to stay within that boundary of, of whatever is in line with the name 
of Christ. Whatsoever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord. Well, back to Colossians chapter three. Um, uh, I'm gonna read this one, then I'm gonna put it on pause and show you the, the third one, and then we'll come back to this one because I wanna make this one be the last one. But just to get you thinking about it, it's Colossians 3, 23. Here's another, whatever you do, the Bible's saying, whatever you do, the first one, whatever you do, do all in the name of the Lord. But here's the second, whatever you do, verse 23. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Whatever you do, do it heartily. Not wimpily or not hardly, but heartily. Um, that's, that's the next one. Uh, but let's put that one on pause and let's go to the, there's one, there's one more, uh, whatever you do here in, our, uh, in the scriptures, and it's in 1 Corinthians. Flip over there. You can keep your finger in Colossians, but go to 1 Corinthians real quick. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Um, verse 31. Here's another, whatever you do, if you're gonna do something, whatever you do, you almost hear your mom saying, whatever you do. Um, it's like the Bible's telling us this. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether therefore you eat or drink, whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Ha, this is an interesting thing, do all. Whatever you do, if you're doing something, do it all to the glory of God. This is one of those things the Bible says, whatever you do. So what does it mean to do all to the glory of God? That's, that's an interesting thing. Um, you know, all is all. I mean, you, you kind of start thinking, well, what about the menial stuff that doesn't matter? Well, I think it's still part of it. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Um, you know, you might say, Brett, you just talked about like uh, drinking a glass of orange juice. How do I drink a glass of orange juice to the glory of God? You wanna know, honestly? Um, when you drink it, just be thankful for such a great thing. Lord, thanks for this orange juice. Um, or or, uh, or give, give God glory by letting someone else have the orange juice. Uh, uh, I, you say, Brett, that's ridiculous. What are you talking this about? Well, did you know that was a problem in the church? In the Corinthian church, they were pushing each other out of the line where the food was uh, and they were trying to get to it. They're not doing it for the glory of God. They were looking for their own happiness and well-being. Um, I think, you know, the, the, the idea of, you know, the, even the small things, doing it for the glory of God will change who you are as a man. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. If you're looking for God to get the glory, Man, that's gonna change. If you're doing it for yourself to get the glory or for your own contentment or happiness, um, man, we're off the course already. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And it is funny, it even says in this verse, you know, whether you, therefore you eat or drink, whatever you're eating or drinking, it even uses that as the context, do all to the glory of God. I, I remember um, when I was, uh, I always talk about my, my trips to Africa and, and also the South Pacific, because they were life-changing things. And I've been there several times. But, um, but in Africa, I remember one of my trips, I was out in the middle of, uh, of uh, Tenkudugu, where I went in this little hut for lunch. And this, it, was, it was just so sweet. Uh, I was told, by the way, when I got to Africa, whatever you do, don't drink the water here. That's what they told me. And those of you that traveled to some of these countries, you know 
you don't drink the water. You think you know what a flu is? You think coronavirus is bad? Uh, just drink some water in a third world country and you'll, you'll, uh, you'll be uh, looking like a rainbird sprinkler from all sides, you know? It's like, seriously, uh, like, like I, I knew that. And so I was very, very careful, you know, drinking bottled water everywhere. But I, I, I'll never forget me and uh, this other pastor that was with me, we went into this house of this lady and she was carefully preparing a meal for us. And it was just a lunch. Uh, we'd already had some other meals that were quite interesting, goat head soup, where literally had the eyeballs in it and stuff. That was at a pastor's conference that we were at. But this lady just had some uh, goat meat, which to them, that was like uh, the, the, the cream of the crop. Like that's going to get a ribeye steak at Ruth Christ for them. And uh, as it turns out, goat meat, is, it's not bad. I, it tastes like, kind of like beef. I like goat. Um, uh, um, but I remember this one time we were just sitting there eating goat, but this, this sweet African woman, she gets a, a, a glass of, uh, like she, she's got two glasses in her whole kitchen. And she goes into this little vase that's in the corner in the hut and she dips the glass and gets some water out. And then I watched her go up to her cabinet and she pulls out this, remember those little Kool-Aid packs? Um, the, the, little, the little paper packs, she pulled out this old, it looked like she had been very carefully using the little sprinkles of that just to flavor the water, just to get, I remember she poured just a few sprinkles of it in, in my cup and in my buddy's cup, those would be, and it turned the, the water kind of this light pink color because she didn't use all of it, but, but that was like her way of making it just a little nicer for her guests. And I just thought, oh man, this, this lady's using her like few sprinkles of Kool-Aid. Um, and you're like, but don't drink the Kool-Aid. Um, <laughs> don't do it, don't do it. Um, but I, I, I have to admit, uh, this verse came to mind, whatsoever you do in food or drink, do all for the glory of God. And I remember thinking of Mark's gospel and Mark you know, 16 talks about if you're in the mission field, um, you can drink deadly poison and it won't hurt you. And you can handle deadly serpents. And you know, goofy churches handle snakes out in Texas, I guess. Uh, that's dumb. The idea is on the mission field, when you're out doing the service of the Lord, the Lord will protect you from stuff. And call me an idiot if you want to, but I remember thinking, I'm gonna drink this cup and I'm gonna enjoy it because this lady poured love into it. It was like her little sprinkles of Kool-Aid and it was right out of the water out of the bush there. I knew that probably the next day or that evening, I'd be paying a price, but I thought, Lord, I'm gonna, whatever you eat or drink, <coughs> do all for the glory of God. And, and so I drank it down. And uh, <coughs> the cool thing about that was, um, is I never got sick. It was amazing. Like, like that's, if you know that region of Africa, that's just totally unlikely. Um, but the Lord protected me through that. I think it was, it was one of those miraculous things. The Lord just said, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna honor that and keep Brett healthy. Uh, but, but the idea is, um, I, I remember when she saw me you know, thankful and, and, and I was able to give glory to the Lord by just saying, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna drink this and, and be a part of this house and love on these people here in Africa. And, and it, was, it, was a, it was a moment, it was a moment in my life where I feel like the Lord did a radical work in my own heart. But that's what the Lord's asking of us. Whatever you do, food or drink, but, but whatever you do, um, you know, do it all to the glory of God. Um, jot down 1 Timothy uh, chapter uh, four. Um, you know, speaking of, you know, orange juice for breakfast and giving glory to God, how do you do that? Uh, 1 Timothy four, verse three through five, it, it says this, some, you know, people forbidding them to marry, 
um, and this is in the last days, by the way, and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created for them to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. So this idea of giving glory to God, what, you know, people get weird about, you know, food, of eating and legalism and all this stuff. But the idea is whatever you do, give glory to God. So, you know, um, you know if you're not a, a Christian, uh, you can't give glory to God drinking a glass of orange juice. But if you're a Christian, you can give glory to God. Lord, thank you for this that you've given me. And when you eat it with thanksgiving or drink it with thanksgiving, you're sanctifying it. It's set apart for the Lord and it's giving glory to God. So the funny thing about this one is, man, um, when we talk about, um, you know, do all to the glory of God, whether it's the big things or the little things, um, uh, you know, to drink uh, lovingly. By the way, the uh, Corinthian church, um, you know, um, uh, and their, their bad behaviors, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 33, talks about how they were not giving glory to God. They were being stingy. Um, but it can be done with the intention of, of uh, giving glory to God. Whatever you do, give glory to God. Uh, again, if you're doing stuff that's bad, can you give glory to God for that? If you're doing things that are sinful, see, I love the safety net that this provides when we're doing this, this thought of whatever you do. So the first safety net is whatever you do, do it in the name. It's gotta line up with his nature and his character. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. But the last one, the third point is whatever you do, and let's, let's finish with this one. This is whatever you do, do everything heartily. Uh, let's go back to Colossians uh, chapter three here um, where, where it says, Colossians three twenty three. whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. Um, again, uh, heartily. One thing that I've noticed about men in modern days is we've learned to be pretty chill, especially American men. We're, we're pretty chill. And we'll oftentimes sit back and sort of let other people, uh, the other half, if you know what I'm talking about, let them do all the hard work. Uh, when it comes to being passionate or doing something heartily, um, ah, you wanna raise the kids, uh, yeah, you wanna take them to church, yeah, you can go do that. Um, you want to do family devotions, ah, honey, you can do that. I'm, I'll just sit back and, you know, we, we, whatever we do, we do heartily, not heartily. Um, and there's, a, there's kind of this laid back, chill, that's what men do. We let the women do it. And, and um, it's a funny thing, you know, Athe Creek's been accused and, uh, of being, uh, having too much testosterone. Uh, we've been told that before, and I, I, I'm kind of like, well, that's great, I like that. That's a compliment. Now, in this day and age of toxic masculinity, um, there's, there, you know, you'll hear people say, you shouldn't have a church like that. Well, um, I, I believe there's plenty of churches that are very soft and that are very uh, centered on women, uh, especially in the Portland area. Um, and it's, it's a hard thing to find a church where there's actually men who are passionate and men who are leading. Contrary to what everybody else says, the men are supposed to lead the church. That's what the Bible says. And if, if you've got a problem with that, you don't have a problem with me, you have a problem with the Bible. First Timothy, you know, talks about how the men are supposed, chapter two, chapter three, the men are supposed to lead the church. But oftentimes when men weasel out of that job, the women will step up and do it. And it's not because they're not capable, that's for sure. Women are capable. But God just says, this is what I want. 
And, and the problem is um, because of our day and age where men are being pushed back and, and being called toxic and, and misogynistic and all these names that people like to call, that, you know, we have to be careful not to throw the baby out with the bathwater. A lot of men I've noticed because of the controversy that swirls today, a lot of men are just kind of mousing into the back corner saying, okay, I don't wanna be considered toxic. Um, so they're not leading. Um, some people have mistaken leadership for just being brutal and mean and you know, disagreeable. But if, if you're a leader of any kind, man or woman, there's gonna be people that will disagree with you and you'll have to kind of steer things. And it's funny, all that's considered toxic today. Be careful with that. And don't step away from your responsibility as a man to be a leader in your home. Um, that's one thing, we're, we're, whatever you do, brothers, we've gotta do it heartily, with a passion, with a strength. I'm not talking about brutality and mean-spiritedness. That's where some churches have gone awry, where they said, men should lead the church, and so they, they sort of become these, you know, battering rams. That's not the Lord Jesus. So, so it's funny, we have to kind of thread the needle here to be strong men that are passionate and doing what we're doing heartily, but also being gracious and loving and kind like Jesus. Very important. Whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. Um, the big things. I love David and Goliath's story. You know, David did that heartily. He's just a young kid. And when he goes down, he doesn't sort of, you know, uh, creep down to the valley of Elah and sort of hide behind a rock and hope that Goliath doesn't see him. He comes running down the hill and he's yelling at the giant as he's running. And the giant's yelling at him. Uh, but David just comes and sticks a stone right between the, the guy's eyes. Like, like, that's doing what you do heartily. He's not just, I mean, he's running. I mean, I just love the, the aggressiveness of that. That's just so good. Big stuff. Do um, you guys remember, um, you know, uh, Abishai, one of David's mighty men? Uh, you can jot this down. First Chronicles chapter 11 is one of the places you read about the mighty men of David. Uh, but in First Chronicles eleven twenty, Abishai, the brother of Joab, was the chief of three. And if you know Abishai, he's really good at killing people. That was his talent. Uh, he was really good at that. He knew how to kill people in many ways. Uh, but Abishai, um, the brother of Joab, was chief of the three mighty men for lifting up his spear against 300 whom he slew, all of them. Um, and uh, he had the biggest name among the three of the mighty men. Um, the idea is this guy went into battle and killed 300 men just lifting up his spear. Like big things. He did it heartily. He'd go out there heartily. What about Benaiah? First Chronicles eleven twenty two. Benaiah is another dude that you wouldn't want to mess with. Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man named Kabzeel, who had done many acts, he slew two lion-like men, probably giants of Moab. He also went down uh, uh, and slew a lion in the pit uh, on a snowy day. Um, what's the name of that audio series uh, that does the mighty men? Anybody know that? Oh, if you haven't, I'll have to get that for you guys. Um, there's like an audio series and this guy writes all these stories of the mighty men of David. And it's just, it's crazy. Like he, he, it's sort of historical kind of fiction, but it's actually the, the telling of what happened. It's so, so like this story of Benaiah, it talks about he's in the pit and he gets in there, why he's in the pit, but the lion roars and he can smell the meat of the previous meal the lion had before as he's roaring in his face. Like, like he gets you right into this story. And, um, but, um, but I mean, these guys were tough and whatever they did, they did heartily. Man, they went for it. 
But, but here's the thing I love about this, and this is why I'm talking about the mighty men. They did things heartily, but not just the big things, killing lion-like men or killing a lion or you know, uh, killing 300 men with your spear, but they also did their menial tasks heartily. One of these mighty men, a guy, uh, you know, it, it depends on which uh, scripture you're going to, but in 2 Samuel chapter 23, there's another description of mighty men, acts and behaviors, but this guy's name was, uh, was Shammah, in Second uh, Samuel 23, verse 11, it says, after Shammah, the son of Ag, the Herite, the Philistines were gathered together unto a troop where there was a, a piece of ground full of beans. And the people fled, fled from the Philistines, but Shammah stood in the midst of the beans and defended the ground and slew the whole army of the Philistines. Um, he was guarding a field of beans. Like, uh, you know, what's the old saying? It's like, not like a hill of beans or, well, I don't know. It's like, like literally he's guarding a bean field. I'd say, bon appetit, man, uh, Philistine army. Eat up, have your beans. Um, but, uh, but I love that this guy says, I'm not letting you have this field of beans. And single-handedly wipes out a whole Philistine army. It's a small menial task, but he does it heartily. Um, there's a lot of times I think we men, we, we do good on the big things, but it's the small things where we drop the ball. Whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and, and, and not unto men. A lot of the things we do is for the appearances and so that we can at least sort of keep our reputation or um, have people not mad at us or whatever the reason why we do things. But you do things heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. Everything we do, Whatever you do, do it heartily, just, just with, a, with all your gumption, with everything you can muster up. Um, you know, um, all this, you know, it, it says, as to the Lord, do heartily as unto the Lord. Um, it's, we're in it to the Lord. Your relationship with your wife is not for yourself or not for her even, but be married and do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. Your job and your career, do it heartily. And I love when I see uh, men that have careers and their businesses and they're doing it heartily, knowing that they're, they're carrying the name of Christ into their work that they're doing. But they're doing it with integrity and with honesty. And, 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 and it's, it's, you're, you're realizing that you're actually doing it before the audience of one when you build that house or you know, when you fix that plumbing or when you wire the electricity through the house, or whatever your job is, um, you, you know, you're realizing you're bringing the name, you're doing it before the Lord. There's a story I've heard of uh, 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 the Queen of England years ago. She was out in the gardens, but she, this particular day, she was just wanting to do some gardening. Um, so she just wore her normal kind of gardening duds, not fancy at all. But she was out there. Well, it started to rain really hard, big kind of storm. And she just got soaking wet. And she was out there kind of by herself in the gardens by Buckingham Palace. Um, but she went to one of the servants quarters and knocked on the door. Um, and the servant lady opened the door and said, what do you want? Um, all she saw was a lady in kind of her wet sopping clothes with her hair stuck to her face. And she's like, what do you want? She says, um, could I borrow an umbrella? She says, ah, okay, but you better bring it back tomorrow. So she handed her the umbrella and slammed the door. Um, and the queen took the umbrella and went back to the palace and all that. The next day with her you know, uh, court and her fancy carriage and horses and you know, all the people and security and all that, they came riding up to the house and, and she gets out, knocks on the door and there's the queen of England. 
And she's like, oh, and she bows down and the lady freaks out and says, I just wanted to give you your umbrella back. And the lady kind of freaked out, realizing <laughs> who she had you know, screamed at the day before. Um, someday you and I are gonna realize what we're doing is in front of the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. Everything we do, uh, everything is open and naked before him with whom we have to do. That's why you and I should say, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to be the man that whatever I do, I'm gonna do all things heartily as unto the Lord, as if the Lord's standing right there um, and not unto men. If you do stuff for the men, uh, to, for the, what they say, Jesus said, you'll have your reward. The pat on the back, you know, uh, you know, uh, when you do your alms or giving, don't sound your trumpet, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 2. Don't, you know, toot your horn. Um, that's what the hypocrites do, Jesus said, in the synagogues where they wanna be seen of men. And, and Jesus said, verily I say to you, they have their reward when they get the accolades of men. But when you do things before God heartily, the Lord will see that and he'll reward you in heaven according to the Bible. Um, don't, you'll never be satisfied trying to please men, by the way, um, or impress people. Um, you know, a lot of times we like to try to impress people with the car we drive or the career we have or our family. Um, man, that's a shallow and empty endeavor. But if you do things to, to impress the Lord um, as a worship of giving glory to the Lord, then you'll find real fulfillment in life. So my challenge is pretty simple on this Saturday morning for us guys today. Um, the whatever you do statements of the Bible. Whatever you do, do all in the name of the Lord. That's his nature submitted to him. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, giving him glory for every good thing. And whatever you do, do everything heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. Um, verse 24, by the way, back at Colossians 3, um, the, the verse after that is kind of interesting. In Colossians 3, 23, that's the whatever you do, do heartily unto the Lord and not unto men. But verse 24, we'll finish with this. It says, knowing, verse 24, that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Um, you know, realize that when, when you die and go to heaven, these whatever you do statements that we've looked at, these three, um, they're gonna matter in eternity and the Lord's gonna reward you and bless you that's what he says, knowing. He, you know, Paul just assumes we know this. Whatever you do, do heartily as of the Lord, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. Don't forget who you serve. And, and, and whatever you do, do it for his glory in his name and do it heartily. Can I ask you just one thing? What are you doing right now um, that doesn't fit with the Lord's nature and character? What are some of the things you're doing right now as a man that you could never say in the name of Jesus, the way I'm treating my wife right now, in the name of Jesus, I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna continue to do that. Does that work? Can you look yourself in the mirror and say, in the name of Jesus, I'm gonna continue to treat my wife the way I'm treating her right now? Because if you're not doing that, big trouble's coming. Um, if, if, if you're doing stuff in business right now where you can say, in the name of Jesus, I'm cutting those corners and uh, nobody knows, but I'm you know, skimming from this account or I'm, I'm being dishonest over there. Uh, man, it's, you gotta break that stuff off because you know, whatever a man sows, that's what he's also gonna reap. The Bible says that. And also, you know, um, the Lord sees it all. 
So that's why we have to kind of say, man, I gotta make sure that what I'm doing, I can say in the name of Jesus, I'm gonna actually do this. And, and if those things in your life don't really fit that, that template of the name of Jesus, and if you can't do what you're doing to give glory to God, maybe it's time to change what you're doing. Um, what are the things that you're doing that the Lord's called you to do and you're doing it, but you're sort of dragging your feet? You're not doing it heartily. You're just barely doing it, hardly doing it. Um, you know, maybe the Lord put it on your heart to lead your family and family devotions. You know that's what God's called you to do. Uh, so once every two or three weeks, you kind of sort of gather the kids and the family together and sort of try to tack on some sort of Bible story with the little guys and your wife's just begging, you know, honey, come on, let's do family devotions more often. You're like, yeah, well, you know, you, you could do it. You're just doing it heartily. When the Lord would say, I want you to do that heartily. Whatever you do, do all things heartily unto the Lord with, with heart and with fervor and with passion. What, what is it that the Lord's called you to do that you've not done very passionately, the Lord saying, I, I want you to get, get up and get going. Um, you guys that you know, work out or have been in some athletics, sometimes it helps to have somebody cracking the whip. That's where coaches come in handy. Um, I've always, you know, when I used to compete in powerlifting, I used to love to lift, but it was always really hard to lift just by myself. It was hard to be inspired, you know? But when there was somebody there, uh, you know, kind of spurring me on, I could always do a lot more. Somehow you could just get a lot more done. And the workout was way more profitable. Um, but you know, the funny thing is, uh, if you don't have that drive, um, you're just gonna kind of do it hardly. And then you're getting no benefit. Ask yourself, Lord, what is it that you've called me to do? And, and I'd like you just to kind of right now, just uh, have that attitude of prayer and say, Lord, show me some specifics. Brett's talked about the broad paintbrush stroke about whatever you do the glory of God, the name of God, do it heartily as unto the Lord, um, the whatever you do statements. But, but maybe you need to zero in on a single point and say, I need to make sure I can ascribe the name of the Lord to what I'm doing there. And I can't right now, time to change something. Or maybe there's something that you should be doing with a passion and a fervor, but you've been dragging your feet. Time to light a fire and, and, and let the Lord just kind of crack the whip a little bit and say, let's get going. Um, what is it that the Lord would have you to do? And you're doing it for your own glory and your personal gain and benefit, but you're, you're supposed to be doing it for the glory of God. And, and what do you need to change to make it to where God gets the glory rather than you? Just some real legitimate you know, logistics uh, questions that you need to ask yourself. Otherwise we hear you know, another Bible study and we come and go and we kind of go, okay, yeah, whatever. Uh, Brett talked about the whatever you do statements and then we go and do nothing, then it's, it's a waste of time. But if we, if we walk out of here today saying, okay, Lord, I'm gonna, here's one thing that I realize that I need to tighten up or fix, then we have been iron sharpening iron, uh, sharpening the countenance of a friend. That's what we're doing here. So let's, let's let the Lord speak to us even now. Why, why don't we bow our heads? Lord, I thank you that you have um, called us to a higher level, to a better way. Um, Lord, so many men have become complacent. We see in our culture, Lord, just the kickback attitude of just kind of chill and let everybody else do what they're gonna do. And, and yet, Lord, you've called us to, to be men that are doing everything heartily as unto you, not to men. All the things we do are for your glory. 
And, and we're supposed to be able to do what we do in your name. Lord, in line with your nature and character. And I, I pray, Lord, that you'd give us um, very specific things. Lord, just put on each brother's heart, Lord, right now. Put on their heart just the, the change that you'd wanna put in them. Lord, give them both the will and, uh, and the power to do what they need to do, Lord. Um, uh, we know that we can, in a sanctuary like this, um, our spirit is willing, but oftentimes it's our flesh that's weak. So I pray that you just strengthen my brothers. May they walk in victory. I pray that this, this wouldn't be a, a, a reminder of religion or legalism, but Lord, we realize these are things that are get-tos, not got-tos. Um, we're the ones who end up blessed when we're obedient to your word, Lord. We forget that, I think. And so just remind us. I pray that, that we would um, go passionately from this building with a new course and, and things that might be corrected and, and, um, and, and a redirecting of our energy and our efforts. So Lord, we pray your blessing on the brothers as we go our way, uh, cause us to do your word, Lord, be doers of your word and not just hearers only. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.